Welcome to your sanity safe space. Not any fucking issue. With your favorite YouTube podcast duo. You're fucking a white male. And a white female too. Saving the millennial generation in weekly installments. <laughs> Live from a castle tower and his mother's basement. This, this is Beauty and the Beta. And we will make America great again. Hello and welcome to the show. A great show, tremendous show, terrific show. Frankly, the best. Ask anyone. That's what Donald Trump said when he shared the last episode on Facebook. Anyway, this is Beauty and the Beta. My name is Matt. You know me by my YouTube moniker Skag3, and I am flanked on my right, as always, by my wonderful co host Rebecca Blonde. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. And we have a very exciting guest this week, Mr. Kraut and T, the man with the smooth German voice of reason and sanity. He'll give us some insight on all things Europe. More on Kraut in just a moment. Tonight we'll talk all things Brexit and the reaction to Brexit. We'll talk some lingering viewer questions on guns and terrorism. All this and more in your favorite hour of listening material. Thank you for liking the show on YouTube. Thank you for reviewing the show on iTunes. Thank you for emailing us beautyandthebeta at gmail.com. If you missed the last episode, we are indeed heading to the Republican National Convention next month, and we plan to bring you the best on-scene content we can, uh, but we've both put big numbers on our credit cards to make it happen. So if you'd like to help us out, consider supporting the show on Patreon. That's linked in the description. We've got some sweet exclusive rewards for you if you do, like these awesome t-shirts and this awesome mug. It's patreon.com slash beautyandthebeta. And of course, we are tremendously thankful to those of you who contributed last week. So, uh, as I mentioned, our guest this week is Kraut and T. And he is a German YouTuber I found through Sugar Tits and Bearing. And he won me over with uh, his awesome voice, for one, and his <laughs> clear, honest looks um, at really a lot of issues, but particularly for me, the clash of Islamic culture and Western culture in, in Europe. And I've seen you up on Sargon's channel recently, Kraut. I've seen you streaming with him. Sargon's a guy I really enjoy. We're both happy to see you uh, rising quickly. Uh, Kraut's links are all in the description, so be sure to check him out, everyone. Uh, he's a guy we highly recommend. So welcome, Kraut. Would you like to introduce yourself? Well, I'm not as exciting as you make it sound. I don't <laughs> think I am at all. Yeah, well, I run a YouTube channel. There isn't really much more to say. I'm surprised people watch this shit I make. <laughs> <laughs> very humble. Very humble. Um, well, I find you very intellectually stimulating, in addition to a good quality listen all around. But oh, thank you. Um, we usually start the show with uh, a recap of our any weekend excitement we had. So I know Blonde has some exciting stories. Uh, I did. Share, or at least from earlier today, just a mere few hours ago, right? Yes, I went to the Seattle Pride Parade, and it was a total freak show. So I'm going to have a lot of footage of that uh, later. I'm going to do my editing tonight. But I got some good interviews, uh, some with these guys that dress in dog suits for some weird sexual fetish. They were all over the place. Apparently, they're like in a group that's 75 strong in Seattle, and they have meetups every week. Um, weird, weird stuff today. It was wild. So we were talking before live and I've been told that furries are only people with a sexual fetish. If you dress up and you don't have a sexual fetish, you're not a furry. 
Nope, just in a just in a costume. And that was confirmed. Okay. <laughs> confirmed. Yeah. Um, That's pretty much it, though. That's all I got. Crowd, do you have any exciting weekend stories you'd like to share? Although it's no. Monday morning for you, but I can tell you behind the scenes, Kraut is uh, not wearing any clothes right now. So just imagine that. <laughs> I got to see it. I got to see it before the show. Oh, yeah. Well, jealous. yes. The last five of these have been incredibly hot here. So I spent the last five days not making any videos or anything like that. I basically was just naked and lying in the sun. And when you're naked more than two days you just get used to being naked and you don't want to put any clothes on which is why i'm naked right now excellent <laughs> that's good to hear um i had my 10-year high school re reunion yesterday and that was just as crappy as it sounds so i really don't want to get into that um but that was kind of interesting makes you feel really old but all your friends look exactly the same as they used to in high school until you all see some high schoolers walking by and they look like children <laughs> and so you feel really weird about it. But the other exciting thing uh, from the last week for me was I got to uh, appear on Ladder with Crowder, which was awesome. And that's linked in the description if you want to check it out. That was uh, super cool. He's a guy I look up to a lot. I was really happy to be on the show. And um, hopefully we can uh, participate uh, or cooperate together some more in the future. Uh, anyway, I think uh, we probably want to dive right into... The big issue, um, which the two Americans here are woefully ignorant on, which is Brexit and your, uh, the UK's vote to leave the European Union and the subsequent reaction to it, which has been, to me, probably more interesting than the vote itself. The, everyone kind of blaming this and that for the results, every, uh, this, this petition for a second election, because nobody likes the results of this one, and it's all the fault of those old people out in the country and all that stuff. So we, in preparation for the, the show, Blonde and I went through uh, a Vox article, of all things, so look at Vox to talk about the uh, arguments for leaving the European Union, but they had a nice breakdown of the reasons. I don't know if we want to actually go through that list. Um, or maybe we could go through that list and, and Kraut can kind of help us understand uh, some of these things. But when I, what I see as an outside observer, when I look at Brexit, is I see a rejection primarily of globalism, either uh, economically or culturally. And I see people who are saying, I don't like what's going on with the rest of Europe in terms of sacrificing all our cultural heritage to uh, people who have come here not necessarily wanting to continue that, uh, namely... Uh, refugees from Muslim countries. Is that an unfair characterization? It's a rejection. It... It's a rejection of things. It's not just of globalism. It's a rejection of Brussels. It's a rejection okay. of how the European Union is set up. It's a rejection of the undemocratic way in which the European Union runs. It's a rejection of German foreign policy. It's a rejection of the migrant policy. <laughs> it's a rejection of the British political establishment who were really behind the Remain campaign, and now they're resigning one after another. So basically, it was just an uprising and then a complete you know, rejection of anything that was establishment in British politics. The thing that, that you mentioned to me that's interesting, and it kind of speaks to something that was confusing in this Vox article to me, because they kind of had conflicting reasons uh, to support the Leave campaign. Um, but when you say that it's... Un, that uh, Brussels is undemocratic, that the EU is undemocratic. Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Or, or why would the European The European Union has the power and authority to enforce laws on other European countries. Mm -hmm. Now, 
the way the European Union is set up is that there is a central commission. Now, the commission is set up out of commissioners, each one of them head of one department, be agriculture, fishing, industry or something else, finances. And every member state of the European Union gets to select a commissioner who then is part of the European Commission. And this European Commission then, um, well, creates the bills. And these bills are then put forward in the European Parliament, voted on or rejected. Now, here's the fundamental flaw of this. The Commission is not elected. Okay. And the Parliament itself cannot propose bills. So imagine for a moment that in the United States, Congress couldn't propose any bills and only the president could propose bills, but the president is not elected, but appointed by the governors of the states. That's oh, essentially what the okay. European Union is. Yeah, because when I was thinking about this, I was trying to conceptualize it in that way. I thought, well, this sounds crazy, but then I think, well, it's maybe not all too dissimilar to our system of... 50 United States, right? Each state has its own state government. We each send our representatives to DC. There's a federal government that they form. There's federal law that governs interstate X, Y, and Z. But what you just explained is not a parallel to that in that the people actually with the power are not uh, directly chosen by the people. If I'm understanding that correctly, I want to make sure that that's exactly okay. Exactly. There's no democratic accountability towards the people who run the European Union. And yeah, I guess the British people rejected it completely. They also rejected the kind of laws that were coming out of Brussels because most of, you know, Brussels and especially the parliament in Brussels, it started to turn into a Washington DC of Europe where everything was pretty much run, you know, where you could essentially buy laws for lobbying. Hmm. And you could really feel how most of the laws passed in Brussels were no longer passed due to a genuine concern over the European Union, over its citizens and over its people, but were lobbied bills that were brought in by various multinational corporation banks or other interest groups such as agriculture, farming in, uh, interest groups. Yeah, that is, I mean, the thing and the thing that stood out to me that I was not that I didn't really understand before this, that makes a lot of sense to me, because of all the inter, I guess in the U S we would call them like interstate issues, but in that context, you might call them inter EU issues or something like that. But when it was explained to me that if you are an EU member, uh, you are, am I correct in saying you are required to accept immigrants from any other EU state. No. So, no. Okay, so that's not that's, correct. That's actually actually the the law in the European Union the the agreement in the European Union is that when a migrant outside from outside of the European Union mm-hmm. or a refugee from outside the European Union sets foot in Europe, he has to stay in the country he first sets foot on. Okay. That's the agreement basically in Europe. The, so, the thing, the migrant crisis is basically what happened in the migrant crisis is, was that Merkel decided to simply not follow that rule. Said, okay, everyone's welcome in Germany. But these people had to pass through Hungary, through Croatia, through Slovenia, through the Czech Republic, through Bulgaria. You know, she basically decided that the rule doesn't stand anymore. And if, you know, this it kind of shows how ridiculous the European Union is. There are apparently rules, but no, you can decide to not follow the rules if you're powerful enough. 
Okay. So this is, as I suspected, this is all far too complex for my simpleton American mind. <laughs> because I can, I can understand why. Um, I mean, it seems like most of the arguments that I hear coming out of this are, are just related to sovereignty. Um, and I can understand why it would be incredibly frustrating not to have complete sovereignty over a lot of these issues that are um, incredibly important. And I think one of the the frustrating things is that we, we we've seen the example of what happens when we kind of have a anything goes refugee policy or or let anyone in refugee policy if that's a fair characterization of what's happened in Germany and and some other countries, um, and and the the popular thing to throw against the pro leave people is that they're xenophobic, right? They they just don't want immigrants. They're xenophobic, and I and some at some level i understand that dumb argument in theory but it's like we don't we don't have to look to we, it's not a theoretical argument we just have to look to other other member states in the eu to see what's happening we we see I violence actually think, we see, go ahead. i actually think that the immigration thing was pushed by the remain campaign to be mm -hmm. honest to be frank or not i okay. don't think that the leave you know leave the european union has, this movement has existed in the uk since 1993 Okay. You know, when, when the immigration issue wasn't that big of an issue, it has always mainly been about leaving the European Union, reclaiming sovereignty, reclaiming the power to make legislation, uh, which the European Union had taken, and leaving the European project. So the, the immigration thing, I believe that the people who opposed leave pushed that narrative to frame those who wanted to leave the European Union as racist and xenophobic. Okay, that makes sense. Do you, hmm. I'm hearing a lot about uh, the economic implications of leaving the EU. I haven't heard anything very convincing. Um, so why is everybody freaking out about this when trade agreements with the UK are going to remain relatively unchanged? We don't know that yet. The, the thing is, you know, when it comes to economics, I, I haven't talked about the economic situation as much because it's a big unknown this has never happened before right and nobody can say things will improve nobody can say that things will stay the same and nobody can say that things will get worse because we don't know what's going to happen we will right. simply have to wait and see right now the value of the pound is dropping that might be an indication for something but the pound might as well start rising again mm -hmm. you know we we don't know what's going to happen and what the economic consequences of this will be will have to be seen within the next four, five, six months. When the next four, five, six months are over, then you can make a judgment over the economic implications, at least the first term economic implications. Do but you have yeah, any speculations? I've, well, no, I'm actually reading through the news. I already read that a big manufacturing business is already pulling out of the UK and relocating to Bavaria. Mm -hmm. which which has around 2,000 jobs. That's something that I noticed from my local newspaper. But to be honest, this is something that might have been planned for several months, if not years. Might not have anything to do with the referendum. So, so we were talking before the show um, about the fact that most of the minds that I listen to and respect have been on the leave side. And I have not... I, I can't, uh, what I worry is that my uninformed 
um, understanding of this issue has been shaped in somewhat of a biased way towards the leave side because most of the people I listen to for other reasons on other issues are on the leave side. Um, but you had mentioned that you did ha hear some compelling arguments from a Remain person recently. Do you recall what they were? I, I, if there's just like a, you know, a, a brief summary list of reasons or even one good reason, I, I, I would like to understand it just so I'm not getting a completely, well, um, or an incomplete look friend, at the issue. I have a friend who wanted to remain in the EU uh, from the UK. Uh, Robin Geffen, he also runs a YouTube channel, and his argument was that, you know, there's a big difference in the EU opponents. There are those who oppose the EU, EU and want to exit because they wanted the European Union itself to collapse, and there are those who wanted to leave the European Union because they believed it would give it the push to finally reform itself, in essence, meaning some believe the European Union can be saved. Mm -hmm. And Robin Geffen believed that it would be best to remain in the European Union and that way the, it would be easier to reform it. Okay. That Britain would actually have a say in how to reform it. I believe that if the European Union were to be reformed, it needed the Brexit. It needed the voice of discontent. Do you think that other member states are going to be on that reform effort? Or alternatively, a lot of people are speculating this is going to prompt a bunch of other disgruntled states to, to leave as well. Do you think that that's a likely thing to happen? Well, I've heard noise in the Netherlands, in France and in Italy about referendums. But if anything, I think maybe Italy and Netherlands are able to set up referendums. But especially the Netherlands are more likely to vote for Remain. Um, and in terms of policy, I mean, it, it's still too early to say what's going to happen. So far, the foreign ministers of all European, of the European Union founding members of Belgium, Germany, France, Luxembourg, Netherlands, and uh, um, Belgium met up and discussed the matter, but haven't really brought forward any kind of policy or reform plan, only the statement that they want the Brexit to happen as quick as possible, that they want the UK to leave as quick as possible. The only country that has so far drawn up any kind of reform program is Austria, which is a very insignificant small little country. Hmm. And interestingly enough, I heard a lot of noise out of Switzerland with several big Swiss media outlets calling for the European Union president to resign, which I would support. I think he's the guy mainly responsible for this mess. He's the guy who's been pushing for increasingly undemocratic European Union. And if there's any hope for reforming this block, he should be held accountable and resign. Okay. I The other issue that I definitely want to cover here is this um, second election or this petition for a second referendum. Like We, we don't like yeah. the results of this one. A apparently up to 3 million people have signed this petition to have a new election. Um, but there's a few interesting tidbits on this. Um, if you're interested in the story, it's the BBC story in the description here. So there's 3 million signatories, up to 80,000 of those are disputed, suspected of, to be fraudulent. That's kind of interesting. But what's interesting, when I first read this, I thought, well, surely they can't, you can't just perpetually petition for a new election every time you don't like the results. So it's got to be more than that. What they want, um, let me open the article here. It's actually, it was, it was this particular petition started not with the Remain campaign, but with the Leave campaign, a guy who was with the Leave campaign back when it didn't look like it was going to win. 
back in May. And what he said is, we shouldn't accept the results of an election. Um, so let me read it so I don't uh, mis, uh, misstate here. The petition's website was set up by an individual called William Oliver Healy, who was with the Leave campaign. And he says, we the undersigned call upon HM government to implement a rule that if the remain or leave vote is less than 60% based on a turnout less than 75%, there should be another referendum. So basically what they're saying is unless pretty much everyone turns out and unless it's a super majority of sorts, a 60% majority, then we have to do it again, which is still a little bit confusing to me because you could have, you could still have perpetual elections where those things are not met, right? You could have everyone turn out, you could have a 55, 45, and then what? You have to have another referendum until there's a 60% on either side? I don't really understand. But it's interesting that this petition is not simply um, just a, we don't like the results of this election, let's do it again. It's proposing these kind of weirder, stricter rules. Um, and, it, and it's been hijacked by the Remain uh, campaign. It started with the Leave people, and it's been hijacked by the, by the um, Remain people, which is sort of strange. I, I don't know if you've heard anything about this. or I did. I did. Do you know what protest voters are? Do you have protest voters in the United States? These are people who basically vote for a party <laughs> that they don't agree with to make a political statement. So, for example, you have, um, so to put it into contrast, in context, in, in the UK, people voted leave who didn't want to leave but wanted the result to be as, you know, as um, close as possible. To kind of send the signal that they want oh. that they weren't comfortable with the European Union. That's a protest vote, and you have a lot of that going on in Europe. You have people who vote right-wing parties basically because they're not satisfied with the leadership of left-wing parties. You have right-wingers who vote left-wing parties because they're not satisfied with the leadership of the right-wing party. And this election, you know, there's definitely several people who voted Leave, but wanted to remain but voted leave because they wanted a close result and to these people i have to say well fuck you yeah. i mean this this just it just shows how stupid protest voting is your own fault right and it, i guess if that was their intention they went a little too far because i mean it wouldn't yeah. be fair to call this a blowout but it also was what a four percent margin i mean that's that's in the u.s we would consider that to be a pretty substantial victory in say a, a presidential election or something like that. That's, mm -hmm. you know, a, a close election would be razor thin, like within 1%. This, this, yeah. You know, close election. Close election in Europe is 5%. Okay. 5% so, margin is right. still so, close. So this wouldn't be considered like a resounding victory for the. No, no. Okay. The country is divided as fuck. But <laughs> I mean, the fact that Scotland overwhelmingly voted to remain, that Northern Ireland voted to remain. Um, yeah, this is still, I mean, as much as I wanted Brexit to happen, this is going to have some severe consequences for British politics. You're probably going to have another Scottish independence referendum. And I hope as fuck that the conflict in Northern Ireland doesn't flare up. I think it will, but at least you're going to hear some vicious language going around in Northern Ireland again. Hmm. One of the thing, and the other thing I wanted to talk about while we're on the, it's kind of a deviation from Brexit, but maybe one of the underlying themes last you and I spoke on a stream a few weeks ago, I was just really interested in 
the um, you know the rise in in refugee and migrant violence in Germany, obviously, and and how that corresponds with a rise in anti-refugee, specifically anti-Muslim public opinion in Germany. And I, I don't know if you if you can just offer kind of your experience on what it's what it's been like because well, sorry, go ahead. Um, the Syrians don't commit any crimes. Everyone else commits crimes. It's as simple as that. The Moroccans, the Algerians, the Lebanese, uh, the Afghanis, the Pakistanis who smuggled themselves into the country claiming to be um, uh, Syrians are majority single men, young, uneducated, not exactly, you know, good for a stable society. And whilst the Syrians, are, well, most of the Syrians are gaming actually are refugees, hmm. actually just want to live and work whilst, <laughs> you know... I, I've shared the crime statistics a couple of times already. I mean, even before the migrant crisis happened, we had pretty amazing crime rates in terms of Muslim populations. I mean, the fact that Algerians are the dominant criminal population group in Germany, that they steal twice as much as the next, you know, in, in the crime statistics in terms of theft, Algerians are the top group, population group, who commits theft and they commit it twice as often as the next population group which is Romania and you have that all across the board murder is dominated in terms of population groups by uh, Lebanese Algerians Moroccans by 10 Islamic countries and it goes all the way through so even before the migrant crisis happened we had this clash of cultures and this self-segregation right. now it's just only going to get worse well, that's, I mean, this is what's interesting to me is because I, I don't know that I have like a firm stance on a lot of refugee and migrant issues in the United States, but I am a person that steps back and says, well, hey, let's be thoughtful about these things. And so many of my friends are of the opinion, look, if you don't want every refugee ever or every immigrant ever to come in without any questions asked, you're a racist. And it's just that simple. And it's interesting to me to take a look at cases like Germany, not only where the crime is happening, but where public opinion has directly reflected that. I mean, is everyone in Germany a racist like me, or are they a victim of actual crime? And you're seeing the you're seeing the population move slowly. The more shit happens, the more horrible things happen, the more people start to get less, you know. When this entire thing uh, started off last summer, people were exuberant. Like, oh, let's welcome these people. But now, you know, as the months went by, it's less and less and less people who are happy about this happening. Less and less and less. And you can count it almost every week. More and more people realizing what a stupid idea it was. And in terms of comparing it to other countries. I, I actually don't like it when, you know, people compare the migration issue in Europe to the migration issue in the United States because okay. there's a big fucking difference between a Mexican migrant and a Muslim migrant. Most of the Mexican migrants probably want to get a job, whilst the Muslim migrant wants to get your head. <laughs> that's Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In terms of the motivation, I think that's fair. Um <laughs> I, I don't in know terms that I've of heard it ever put that bluntly, but I do appreciate. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, it's the same idea. Like sometimes we have these debates uh, in this country about you know, like, well, the Christians don't like the gay people either. Yeah, but there's only one religion that's out to cut off your head. 
Yeah. We can agree there might be like intellectual comparisons between them, but the, again, the difference between thoughts and actions, right? We can never separate those things, but that's, that's interesting. Um, Reality matters. Reality matters. In reality, there have been over 40,000 Islamic terrorist attacks in the past 10 years. That dwarfs everything else that might have been committed by all religion combined. Well, this is is a theme that I wanted to hit on because um, as uh, probably a lot of you know, I'm a big, I watch Bill Maher weekly. I love his show, even though it's getting harder and harder because every week it's (laughs) like, Donald Trump's a racist. (laughs) Discuss. Okay. Um, but they had Paul. At least Begala. he's right about Islam, though. He, well, yeah, Bill Maher is almost always. Oh yeah, yeah, Bill Maher. Um, but yeah. he on the immigration issues, he gets a little strange sometimes. But he had Paul Begala on this week, who's been a longtime Democratic strategist, and they had this insane exchange that I wanted to play. So I'm gonna I'm gonna play that right now because I think it's uh, right in line with some of the topics here. I mean, I hear a lot of talk today about xenophobia. Yeah. And is it really phobia if you have something to be afraid of? 52% of British Muslims think being gay should be illegal. Yeah. The kind of thing that would make what, you what a What percentage nervous. of American Republicans believe that? Can we deport oh. that? Not Everyone cheers. They think it should be illegal? Sure. Le- no, no, no on, I don't. That's on, bullshit, yeah. on, Paul. Paul. That's we'll go check it. Paul, you know stop what? It. Check it. Stop it. Stop it. That's Just all, stop, stop it. It, it wasn't illegal they, until a few years ago. Uh, there certainly is a hard right wing in this yeah. country, but they have no power. It's a lot different. What? What? Do you really think if if uh, America had Muslimized ghettos, Muslimized? That's not the right word. No. Uh, radicalized ghettos of Muslims like. London and Brussels right. and, and Paris, yeah, Brussels, yeah. Uh, where a woman who would walk down the street in a short skirt would be hassled because it was anti-Islamic. Do you, what, what would Americans do if that happened in this country? We, ha- we would not put up with it. We're a pluralistic society. Exactly. We have exactly. Muslims here, and I, right. don't, I really don't know Britain. And, I don't know France, but they're integrated here very wonderfully. Whoops, save this for later. Anyway, uh, that's <laughs> We have Muslims here. That's a teaser. That's like the, the, in my personal experience, arguments, isn't that brilliant? Oh, we yeah, have Muslims I... here. I know a good Muslim. <laughs> I know a tentacle monster that lives in Munich. That's my personal argument. I, I, yeah. I, I could not it. believe the idea that, oh, well, how many Republicans want homosexuality to be illegal? Are you, what? Pract- effectively none. What world do you live in? Yeah, and I have never heard a Republican or a Christian say that it should be punishable by death, which is like commonplace in, you know, in Islam. <clears throat> false equivalence. Numbers and actions. But in this case, the Republicans Numbers don't even matter. have those thoughts. They don't even yeah, have no. those thoughts. We, we, we had a criminal study uh, in Lower Saxony, which is a state in Germany, and it found that the more religious a Muslim in Germany is, the more likely he is to be violent against homosexual people. Oh, my God. Hmm. Yeah. So, so that was actually empirically the, demonstrated. How did they... Yes. How do they measure, like... Uh, how religious one like hours spent in the mosque or like i'm just <laughs> i'm curious like what read, is the pointed i didn't read the question time. i didn't read the questions but that was the result of the survey maybe hmm. the survey should be questioned but yeah you know we we had people being murdered in germany for being gay we had last year we had a case of a dad who kidnapped his own son and tried to smuggle him into syria into a forced marriage because he found out he was gay so there's no fucking comparison. 
if you have a Muslim population, you will see for yourself how these people treat gays and lesbians. It's not nice. It usually involves involves honor killings. You know, it, it's it, not every every Islamic violence against gay people. It doesn't always show itself through massacres and executions. It shows itself through a dad. Uh, brutally bludgeoning his own son to death because he found out he's gay. That's how it happens usually. And these are then usually put off as murders and not as hate crimes. So they swamp down the statistics. Yeah. And and this false equivalence, and even Paul Begala said in there, well, it was illegal up until like 10 years ago. I think he means Lawrence v. Texas, which struck down sodomy laws. It was never illegal to be gay. There was a point in time where it was like if, if the cops caught you um, doing stuff in your bed that you're not supposed to do up until 2003, that was legal. But I've, I don't know of a time where it was ever illegal to be a gay person. Now, of course, there were times where it was more socially um, not acceptable. There were times where weird that whole case was weird because somebody they literally set those people up like i think there's a couple gay guys having some you know ex doing whatever in the next room over hey cops go bust them that case is super interesting right but what <laughs> i don't know what world they live in where this has been illegal well the masochists frankly, yeah the masochists <sighs> always blame ourselves never blame anyone else the idea that someone else could be at fault is just completely alien to them yeah, I mean, it, um, and people have made this point, you know, uh, many, many, many times, but I think, I do think it's, it's a pretty important one. It's like, if you're not willing to hold these people to the moral standard of everybody else, if you're willing to justify their immoral behavior on the basis of, of where they come from or what their religious belief is, then who's the real racist? Who's the real bigot? More, more importantly, um, I had this guy. You know, after the Orlando uh, terrorist attack happened, I had this guy who tweeted at me, who messaged me and claimed that now Muslim extremists killed more gay people uh, than Christian right-wing extremists did in the past 100 years combined. And I found that statement really weird. So I looked up the crime statistics and I found it was bullshit. You know, ever since 1969, uh, almost 250 gay people and lesbians and transsexual people were murdered by right-wingers and fanatics in the United States who were not Muslim. So, yeah, you can make the point, oh, yeah, we had these horrible things happening in the past, but in the end, what's your fucking point? What's your fucking point? I mean, it's like, imagine someone being in front of a judge and uh, being accused of murder and just saying, oh, why are you talking about that murder I committed? I mean, the guy you sentenced last week murdered two more people than me. <laughs> it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. I mean, that that and the historical stuff always bothered me. It bothers me. Well, historically, we did bad stuff. Oh yeah, no, it was terrible when we did it a hundred or two hundred or whatever many years ago. So that right. means it's okay for them today, because there is no you know we don't the moral standard of today applies to us back then, but it doesn't apply to them today because that's their culture, that's their belief. There is no moral standard in it. There is no moral standard. It's 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 worthless gibberish. Hmm. You know, oh, these people used, we used to do horrible things as well. So what? What's your point? There's nothing to it. It's, I, it's, I, it's just an empty statement. It, 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 it doesn't make any point. It's not an argument. It's nothing. It's just worthless. Well stated. 
Well, maybe there's sanity to be had on this someday, but you've been a good voice for that. And I appreciate that for sure. As a listener, um, I did want to get to the, we got about 25 minutes left or so. I wanted to get to some of the great emails that we had in the inbox on some leftover issues from the last couple of weeks. If you guys want to do that stuff on guns, stuff on terrorism, not necessarily Brexit. Oh, the gun thing. Let me guess. People thought it was a gun control issue. Well, we, yes. we, yeah, we've spent the last couple episodes talking about the, how foolish that attitude is. Not only gun control. Let me just they... give you, let me give you a stat. Um, sure. The countries in Europe, which have the least strict gun control regulations have had zero Islamic terrorist attacks so far. The least strict. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. people that are able to defend themselves have also experienced the least. No, terrorism. no, it has nothing to do with that because the Philippines have extremely non-strict gun control regulations. You can buy a gun very easily in the Philippines, but in the Philippines, there have been over 100 terrorist attacks in the last 10 years alone. So this very simply shows it's not a gun issue. It doesn't matter if guns are around or not. It's an Islam issue. Yes. Pure and simple. Agree. On that we'd agree. Um, oh, yes. I think some people might, I think the, the only counter argument would be people, some people would say guns do matter to the extent that you're able to, to defend uh, yourself. But I mean, at the end of the day, I, I take your point exactly correct, which is um, it, they're going to try to do what they're going to try to do. Mm-hmm. We, maybe the gun helps you stop them. Maybe it doesn't. But they have proven to be resourceful with whatever weapons they can get their hands on at any point in time, which brings us to this question from Cole, which I thought was a pretty good one, and I wanted to fit it in the show. Um, and I mean, uh, we both made the, po- the point in previous shows. So, yes, guns are dangerous, uh, but cars are dangerous, planes are dangerous, vests are dangerous to terrorists. All of these things are dangerous. Um, but Cole makes the point, cars and planes, we at least teach people how to safely and properly use them before we are before they are given a license so what if we implemented the same thing for firearms now i i took this to be kind of a reasonable question i have a few points of dispute with it did you want to field that question first blonde or i can well it's a constitutional right i mean it it can't be restricted in that way free speech can't be restricted in that way no constitutional right can um so saying that you need to i i understand you know the thought behind it but it's not practical in uh, practice. Yeah, that was the kind of the same the same angle that I had in my head, which is I, I do understand, you know, we, we've tried to regulate all these other things with training and licensure to make sure that they're safely operated. Right. Planes, cars, not a constitutional right. So yeah. I do think this brings us to the the answer that we've talked about and I've talked about, which is Maybe for the people that want this more heavily regulated, the answer is the Second Amendment has extended its life. And your answer is we need to do away with the Second Amendment and we need to regulate this just like any other good or service um, that we have. But I think until we do that, we need to be honest that this is uh, a, a constitutional right, Second Amendment in the Bill of Rights. And as long as that's the case, I don't think it's appropriate to, to start putting in these kind of licensure regulation i mean the point you made on the first amendment i think is is a fair one could you imagine well blonde uh we know you have a tendency towards hate speech at times so (laughs) we're gonna make you go through a training course 
learn about how not to say hate speech. And once you've shown that you've passed the test, then you'll be licensed for free speech, not to include hate speech. I think um, maybe that's not a perfect analogy. There's probably some flaws in that some people could poke, but that uh, you and I kind of had the same thought on that, that you're, that, that approach is not reconcilable with its status as a constitutional right. Um, and then we had this lengthy uh, email from Addison, which was very thoughtful, probably the most well-researched and thoughtful email in our inbox to date. Remember, it's beautyandthebeta at gmail.com if you want to send us thoughts or recommendations or questions. But um, I feel like I should probably, it's long. I don't know if I want to read. Should I just summarize it, do you think, or should I read the whole thing? It's kind of lengthy. Uh, um, might want to get those stats in there. I'd read the first paragraph. Okay, so data from START, which tracks uh, terrorist attacks, tells us that there have been about 3,500 deaths of U.S. citizens between 95 and 2014. Out of the total population today, that's about 0.1% uh, in roughly the past 20 years. So the question is, is terrorism statistically significant enough to warrant responses to it thus far and extending these responses into the future? Um he goes on to say the kind of restrictions that would have to be created in order to prevent terrorism are stringent enough to be both inconvenient for people in everyday lives and unconstitutional. The surveillance program that is already uh, in place is clearly unconstitutional and yet does almost nothing to prevent terrorism. So this is a very utilitarian question. Uh, and I find it kind of interesting given the tiny fraction of people that have died to this particular threat, do our efforts to curtail the threat do more damage than they do help i doubt the it tiny amount, it's hard. go ahead crowd the, the tiny amount who have died in the united states right yes that, it's a global that problem is, i think that's a fair <laughs> yeah it's a global yeah. problem and it's a mounting problem like these uh, these terrorist attacks are getting worse more deaths and and you know more frequency so and i'm islamic, not sure if, his, if history is really is, the best dictator Islamism doesn't show itself for terrorism alone. I've tried to make this point uh, a couple of sure. times. If you go through Europe, you find these ghettos all throughout European cities in Marseille, in Brussels, in London, in Berlin, in f fucking everywhere. And that's also a way in which has manifested itself for crime, for self-segregation, for a hostile attitude towards democracy. Terrorism is just, if we start... I mean, think of the fact that the vast majority of anti-Semitic hate crimes in Europe are committed by Muslims, and that anti-Semitism is on the rise in Europe as a result of Muslim immigration. That's, you know, the, terrorism is just a small part of it. It is the most violent and most extreme, the most publicly visible, but it's a small thing in the picture. Yeah, subjugation of women. I mean, you can't really quantify these things like you can terrorist attacks. Yeah. And the question becomes, if that's the case, if we grant that premise that it's this ideological global issue, what do we do about it? And so I was trying to think because his email really made sense to me. I was trying to have a hard time arguing against that kind of utilitarian approach. But I thought, well, it's kind of on this premise. It's it's hinges on this premise that you can't really prevent terrorist attacks. So I, I dug into that a little bit, trying to figure that out. And I was, I was looking at allegedly prevented terrorist attacks in the U.S. since 2001. So there is a long list that you can look up. Um, but what's interesting is a lot of these are actually alleged to have been basically uh, FBI traps, like FBI looking, uh, FBI looking up a potential terrorist and being like, hey, got a sweet plot 
you want to like help me <laughs> out with it? No, thanks. I'm good. Really though. It's going to be sick. Everyone's going to know your name. <laughs> no, come on, man. Just do it. Okay, fine. Oh, you're arrested. It's that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I'd be interested to dig into that issue a little bit further. Cause I think it serves his argument a little bit. Like this, all of this rests on the idea that we can prevent this with appropriate spying or appropriate surveillance or appropriate this or that. And at first glance, like, okay, we've stopped dozens of these through that approach. Have we stopped them? Or has the FBI just kind of trapped people to be like, Hey, good work. We got him. We got yeah. that guy who had like a, I don't know, 1% chance of doing anything. Whoa. Anyway. Well, why cut your fingernails if they keep growing back? Hmm. You know, <laughs> and other than that, one of the main reasons why this continues to happen to continue to happen and why we're not getting anywhere is because we're not addressing the actual fucking issue. We're not addressing the ideolo ideology behind all of this. Well, one of the ways that people, and I'm in full agreement with you there. When I see things like Orlando, I, I'm like, what could possibly motivate a person to do this? Oh, right. This, this fanatical uh, religious motivation. And a lot of the things that people come back to me on, rightfully so, I think is, okay, so what do you want to do about it? Do you want to ban that thought in people's head? Do you want to like spy on the mosques? What do you want to do about it? And I don't know that I have a good answer yet because I agree that it's an ideological problem. How do we keep that ideology at bay? And I don't I have want a good to answer ban for it. that. Yes, I want to ban it. I want to say, no, you can't stone gay people to death. Yeah. No, I don't care how much it's part of your culture. You can fuck off with that shit. Okay. No, you don't get to treat beat your wife up when she wants to divorce you. No, you don't get to murder Jews. It's as simple as that. Oh, come on. You, you got to give have, them something. At least give them the Jews. Come on. You have to speak out about the fucking ideology behind it. I mean, we're not, even, we're not having a public debate about it. In public, we're not talking about what a problem Islam is to us. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, that's the answer that I usually go with, which is like, look, I don't, I don't know the policy answer. What I do know is the, the correct policy answer starts when we've correctly diagnosed the problem. That's right. where it starts. And, and as soon uh, when we have state leaders getting up and being like, no Islam to see here. He was a bad Muslim. He was one of those, like, I don't know what I'm doing. Muslims. He was one of those guys. Lone like, wolf. Yeah. It's clearly homophobia that was, uh, you know, enhanced by his, his living in the South where everyone's really homophobic. That's why it's, it's a Southern U S problem. Not, not, an is, you know, Islamism problem. God. But I think, I think your point is, is, well articulated, which is like their culture is not compatible with our culture because we don't condone those things that happen. And when they do happen, we need to stop justifying it. We need to stop saying it's okay because it's not okay in our culture. It shouldn't be okay in theirs either. But you know, you'd have to. I don't admit think that. it is as much. I don't think it is as much of a cultural thing as it is a values thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, cultures. We have fucking Hindu temples in Germany. And we've had bombs planted in Hindu temples by Islamic extremists. So that kind of shows you what it's a values thing. Yeah. It's a thing like secularism, freedom of speech, freedom of conscience, all that stuff. It's a values problem, not a cultural issue. I mean, they connect, they have tied their culture in with those shitty set of values that they have, those backwards values, and try to export them to us and claim that 
these horrendous values that they have are supposedly part of their culture when they're clearly not. They can just as well live without them. And still How much have you seen the demographics of Munich change in the last, I don't know, year? I haven't lived there for a year. I've oh, only really? lived there for seven months, yes. I've li- I lived in Leipzig before. So I wouldn't know. And Leipzig is East Germany, so nothing much changes. It's not the place that people go to. But in terms of demographics, um, most Muslims live in cities. Most Muslim migrants don't move out to the countryside. That's why, for example, people start saying stuff like, oh, yeah, London is no longer an English city because of the massive immigration. But, yeah, immigrants in general always tend to move into cities. And that's not necessarily a Muslim thing. That's just an immigrant thing. Immigrants always tend to look for urban centers when they move into another country. Hmm. Well, uh, do you guys want to get into proud to be? Should we do that with our last 10 minutes or so? Sure. Um, that's kind of an awkward pivot, but we can go with it. (laughs) (laughs) Cause I actually found this video. I did want to fit this in because this was amazing to me. YouTube spotlight, which is like one of YouTube's accounts or maybe YouTube's main account on YouTube released this video this last week called hashtag proud to be, which is, well, we'll just play it. It's all about um, being proud of your gender identity and things. And I actually found this through Kraut's rebuttal to it. Um, and I was not there early enough to see the comments because the funny thing about this video to me is YouTube disabled the comments. They pulled a full Anita Sarkeesian, disabled <laughs> the comments on their own platform. YouTube disabled Ooh. its own comments. Unbelievable. Let me, uh, I want to pull this up and we'll play it. It's luckily it's brief. Uh, A minute 50. Can we last? Let's go. I know a lot of people have been questioning about it, but there's, there's something that I want to clear up. I identify as agender, but also genderqueer. Omnisexual, polysexual. I haven't really figured that out myself yet. It's not about a preference. It's much more complicated than that. Gender can be confusing. People look at me <laughs> differently. You're gorgeous, you slay, but... What, you <laughs> what were you when you were born? Okay, wait, wait. I want to highlight this guy because my friend had the most <laughs> hilarious comment. Shout out to my friend, Holy oh my Biju, because he said about this person... Let me read the quote. This looks like an enemy, non-playable character in a video game from the early 2000s. Not a boss, though. Just one that you can hit once and kill, but only drops 10 gold or a small med kit. <laughs> the totally, it's exactly what it looks like to me. 1990s. Cat Black. Yeah. Cat Black is about to appear, and she only gets a f- one second clip in, which is really funny. Oh, I, I like didn't know. The fact that she- oh, okay. Because some of these people, I look their channels up, they only have around 60 subscribers, 50 subscribers, 70 subscribers. Cat Black has 50,000 subscribers and they only give her a one second clip. And I really Wait. liked it. I think someone at YouTube doesn't like Cat Black. Wait, who is this? Cat Which one's Black? Cat? Were you yeah. when you were born? Are you by- this person? Which Wait. one? You'll have no, to no, no. What, the scary what? one. Key one, key one. Okay. Sexual. Where do you stick here. This time, this, yeah. this one right here. Oh, Cat Black. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm not familiar with her, but I can't even tell what she says. It's so. Oh, short. she's venom. She's vicious. She's okay. a fucking cunt. <laughs> she's right, one of get... the biggest social justice YouTube channels. She has around fifty, sixty thousand subscribers. That those are the biggest social justice YouTube channels, huh? That's kind yeah. of surprising. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's hear them out. Let's hear the rest. Sexual. 
where do you stick it? Do you got a dick or not? You weren't born a woman. Do you got a dick or not? It's my favorite quote. It's not fair to anybody. What's her deal? It's not fair. It's not fair. Would people accept me for who I am? Oh, this is so gay. <laughs> because, because, let me tell you. At the end of the day, you gotta live your life for you. And it's not something that anyone should have to be ashamed of. I'm telling you who I am. I'm giving you who I am. I'm gay. I'm a lesbian. I am actually pansexual. I am transgender. <laughs> I am 33 weeks pregnant. This one blew my oh. mind. I don't want to be like mean pregnant. or whatever. But I was like, damn, that guy looks like a sweet offensive tackle. Or like a really strong offensive tackle. Oh, wait. He is pregnant. Jesus Christ. I am so proud. I love myself. We will love one another. And now is a time where we need to say no to the hate, to the violence. This won't scare us back. You know, I really... We will be seen and we will be heard. Go in front of the mirror, take a deep breath and say... This is who I am. Just, just say, stand up next to and be like, this is who I am. Oh. <laughs> okay. Oh, uh, man. You know what really annoyed me most about this? And you saw it in the comments before they shut the comments down. They mixed these social justice, you know, agenda, gender neutral, whatever the fuck bullshit. They mixed them in together with gay and lesbian people mm -hmm. who were just gay and lesbian. They just mixed them together as if they were the same thing. Yeah. And you saw in the comments that a lot of the fucking people, that even some of the people in that video apparently were really angry about that. That they got mixed in with this shit. Did you they mixed not... in footage. I would have oh, thought YouTube sorry. would have like informed them they were going to do this or something, right? And said, hey, we're going to make this pride, proud to be video. We're going to feature you. Cool. I mean, I guess they don't have to, but I would have thought they might. They even mixed in footage from a, vid a vigil for Orlando together with, you know, uh, fucking neutral gender, gender queer, whatever bullshit. Yeah, it's a, well, how, so you got to it right away and you apparently saw the comments because the comments are disabled. I forget what it has, something like a quarter million dislikes on this thing or something. It's a lot. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, yeah. So how long, do you know how long it took for this video to be up before the comments just, before they caved and just deleted them, or uh, disabled them? Eight hours. Eight it, hours. It, it was okay. insane. You saw people commenting on it and immediately a minute later you you refreshed the page and the comment was gone. Refreshed the page, the comments were gone again. Refreshed the page, the comments were gone again. Because people were really angry over this. Oh man. It's and it, and then 4chan noticed. And when 4chan <laughs> noticed, of course. <laughs> it is all of this stuff is frustrating just because you can be a full proponent of, of legal equality for all of these issues. And if you're not like really excited about it, you're still a bigot. You know, if you're not yeah. like, yes, please throw it in my face all day, every day, please, you're a bigot. You know, I, I, it's the, it's, to me, it's part of the broader thing of now that legal equality is largely settled, we're going to go after equality of opinion. You will think oh, these oh. people are cool. The, you the, will. The, the main problem I have is is how they're trying to force this, um, you know, this essentially narcissism. 
because this gender gender neutral shit it's just narcissism into a legitimate movement yeah I think because there are places in the world where you need to campaign for gay rights yeah but well, then they force no, this that's nonsense part of their culture dude that's just that's part of their culture leave them be and we aren't allowed to pass any judgments about this. Like, that pregnant dude, that kid is going to be screwed up. You cannot tell me that kid's not going to be screwed up. That's unethical. That shouldn't be happening. Ooh. I, I want, well, yeah. If there was a documentary about it, I'd watch. Or, I'd, you know, where are they now, five years from now? Strangely enough, yeah. I'm hardly upset about that dude at all. The thing that annoyed me the most were the kids. I'm, I'm yeah. genderqueer. I'm, nah, nah, nah. It's not fair. Yeah, that's true. Nah, 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 nah. It's, <laughs> ah, it's, yeah, and Cat Black. I mean, she only had one second clip, but I hate that woman. I really What's her stick? I've never woman. heard of her before today. Uh, she's a social justice YouTuber. I can send you a link to her channel later. She's just really, ugh, white it... people are evil. She made a white wow. history month special on her channel telling us all how whiteness itself is the cause of all evil in the United States and whatnot. And yeah, if you social justice warriors do have their YouTube channels, but they're very isolated and, you know, yeah, people only stick to them who agree to them. I think my comments got deleted there. Yeah, well, Oh, God, I wish I could be a fly on the wall in the meetings at YouTube about the decisions yeah, really? that were made, um, not only for the what production of this, but for after. Because you can't tell me, and I do see some comments in the live chat about, you know, there is there is real discrimination. Sure. I, I mean, I, I grant there's probably a certain segment of that. But <laughs> there, not everyone who is tired of this kind of thing being force-fed is an agent of discrimination. You know, I, I do not go out and target trans people or gay people for mocking or discrimination on any kind of regular basis. And I am admittedly annoyed by this presentation. I didn't yeah. get, well, I guess I could click, I didn't click thumbs down. I didn't, I didn't dislike it. So good guy, me. <laughs> <laughs> if you, if you, if you meet gay people, you know, people who campaigned for gay rights in the 70s, 60s, and 80s to a certain extent, who are they today? They're just normal people. Mm-hmm. You know, they have their lives, they have their jobs, and they're trying to push this exuberant, narcissistic nonsense into this movement, yeah. whilst, in fact, the gay rights movement was about being able to live in society as an equal citizen. Yeah. You know, that, that was what it was about. And part of that, that is, is not being special is. anymore. You know, once, yeah. once you are an equal citizen before the law and you have, are you afforded all the rights and privileges that our society offers, that means just being a person, just going yep. about your daily life. And sorry, you're not a celebrity for the sole basis of who you are. And I guess, but the counter argument to that would be the Kardashians, perhaps. I don't know. So and you will get your feelings hurt. That is part of being a human being. You just yeah. have to suck it up. Stop being a pussy. Deal with it. I think those are wise words to round out the show on. <laughs> Stop Suck being a up. pussy. Deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you, unless there's any topics you'd like to discuss further, Kraut, we'll defer to you if you want to. No, it's your show. It's your show. Awesome. And it's almost four in the morning. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you showing up so late and uh, offering some insight to us because we were going to wing it solo and probably say all the wrong things on Brexit. <laughs> and Europe and, 
look really dumb. You're welcome. To be honest, we do appreciate it. <laughs> Um, so, uh, a note about next week's show before we close it out. It is Independence Day holiday, uh, the Independence Day holiday weekend here in the U.S. next weekend. So, we are moving the show to Saturday night. That'll be July 2nd, and it'll be live at our normal time, 9 Eastern. Uh, we're going to have two wild Australian bears next week. That's the rumor. It's going to be bearing and sugar tits here on the show next week, and we are going to appropriate their culture uh, and, and just bastardize everything Aussie. So that'll be a fun show to look forward to. But other than that, uh, thank you kindly to the live viewers and the chatters. I saw Baring hanging out in the chat in addition to a cavalcade of other celebrities. So thanks for being here, everyone. Uh, if you're listening on demand or on YouTube, uh, if you're listening on YouTube, I should say, or on an audio platform, thank you for supporting the show. Remember to email us at beautyatthebeta at gmail.com. Take your questions and requests and suggestions there. And please... If you can support us on our trip to Cleveland for the Republican National Convention, check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash in the beta. Thanks to Crowd, our guest, for being awesome and helping us out. Uh, we will be back next Saturday and every Sunday after that. If it's Sunday, sorry, Chuck Todd, it is not Meet the Press. It's Beauty in the Beta. We'll see you then. <laughs>